Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. Our Sunday services have now moved online and you can tune in every week for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon by going to christchurchlondon.org forward slash church hyphen at hyphen home. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. everyone wherever you are watching this from love it that you are with us today's talk is actually the first time i'm going to get to travel to many of the christchurch london services in person and speak which i'm really excited about but when i'm with people i'm going to share something that i want to share with you guys as well as i've been talking to people and just asking hey how are you doing as we come out of the last 12 to 18 months one of the responses i've got back more than any other is andy i just feel tired I'm really fatigued, the kids are tired, my friends are tired, my colleagues are tired, everyone feels tired. And I've really been praying about that for us as a church. And there's one particular verse in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah that I've been praying into. It's chapter 8 and verse 10, very different context, though I guess in some ways the people are emerging from their own form of lockdown. They've been in exile, they're now back in Jerusalem. And here's what Nehemiah says to the people. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I've been praying about this summer season for us as a church, that it will be marked by good food and sweet drinks and generosity and inclusion to those who have none, that our community would grow, and that the joy of God and the joy of being together would more than outweigh the pain and challenge of the last year. Uh, My prayer for us is that as we get to kind of September, we feel refreshed and invigorated, strengthened by God. And I just want to pray that I refresh you today. That's really my heart. And to that end, we're actually starting a brand new sermon series that will take us through the summer season, actually focused on one chapter of the Bible. And that chapter is Romans chapter 12, which is a great passage which can hopefully help us better navigate a season like this, overcoming challenges, building community, blessing our city. And the title of this series is Living Sacrifice, which comes from the first couple of verses that we're going to be looking at today. The verses will be on the screen for you to follow along. This is what the Apostle Paul writes to a church in Rome. He says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. What are these verses all about? Well, to better understand them, we actually kind of have to summarise what's already been said in Romans. Romans 12 starts with the word therefore. In other words, what I'm going to say and the series ahead for us this summer, it kind of depends on what's already been said. So what's already been said? Well, Paul starts by basically outlining the problem with the human condition. We all know there's something deeply broken about each of us. If I put a picture of you on the screen now and the worst thing you thought, said or done in the last 12 months, most of us would be horrified and want to run a million miles. We know there is a serious problem in the human heart. And Paul basically diagnoses that problem. He said the heart of the issue is basically what I might call misdirected worship. 
Centering our lives on things that aren't actually God, worshipping created things instead. Uh, money, power, pleasure are the obvious ones, but of course there are many others as well. And actually the heart behind doing this is ultimately self. We want to focus our lives on ourselves. This was the heart of Adam and Eve's temptation in Eden at the start of the amazing Bible story. The devil comes to them and says, look, I know God said don't eat from that tree. Ah, oh, but if you do, you will be like God. And so we chase these things in the hope that we might find some kind of personal transcendence. And this is how all of us, Romans says, essentially live. What happens when we do this? Well, there are many things, but I want to highlight two from the book of Romans in particular. Uh, the first is basically our thinking kind of gets corrupted. In fact, the language of Romans is actually quite drastic. Chapter 1 and verse 28, which Romans 12 verse 1 picks up on, says our thinking becomes futile. In other words, we can no longer see the life and the beauty and the goodness of God. It's almost like we're blinded to it. A very imperfect example, but I want you to imagine for a moment beautiful bowl of fruit, you know, kiwis, papayas, pineapple, cherries, strawberries, raspberries, looks delicious. Now imagine you put a cockroach in the middle of it. What's our reaction? It's like, ah, repulsion. And of course, it doesn't work the other way around. Take a plate of cockroaches, no amount of fruit is going to change our reaction. Well, imagine the fruit is the life and beauty and goodness of God, and the cockroach is sin. It's like it's tainted and spoiled everything. So, for example, I might hear the words of Jesus. It's better to give than to receive. I might factually agree they are true. I might have experienced the joy of giving and be inspired by stories about generosity. But do I always live like those words are true? Sadly not. And so often I'm like, oh, no, maybe it is better to live for self. The fruit, the beauty, the goodness of generosity is tainted by the cockroach of sin. I can't fully see it. And this, Roman says, has happened to all of us. Our thinking has got corrupted. And because I can't see the goodness of God so clearly anymore, what happens is I end up getting shaped by the age in which I live. Uh, Romans 12 says we end up getting conformed to the pattern of the world around us. A really silly example of this. Uh, when I was at school, all the kids tended to cluster in different social groups. Uh, there was the cool group. They were so cool. Uh, there was the sporty group. Really sporty. Uh, there was the brainy group. They were so clever. Now, this will come as a surprise, but I was not in any of those social groups. Uh, anyone want to guess which group I was in? Uh, no, it wasn't the hipster group either. Uh, I was actually in the chess group. Uh, this was a gang of one person. Uh, no one else wanted to be in my gang. Very lonely existence. And to be honest, had I been in any other school, it probably would have been the same case. Uh, chess has never been that popular in the UK. Uh, and in fact, actually, if you look at the stats, interest in chess in the UK was kind of declining or stagnating for many, many years. That is until 2020, when a new Netflix show called The Queen's Gambit came out. Maybe some of you have seen this. This has now been watched by over 62 million people. And it kind of glamorizes and sensualizes the world around chess. Suddenly, chess is glossy. Chess is sexy. Woo, chess. Uh, 25 years too late for me, but uh, never mind. Now, what happens as a result of this? Well, let me give you a few of the stats. There are many others. I find these extraordinary. 
sales of chess books increased 603%. eBay reported a 273% increase in chess set sales in the first 10 days of its release. There are now over 12.2 million new members of chess.com. I got friends again. Etsy saw a 364% increase in searches for chess items. And I could go on and on and on. As ever, ladies and gentlemen, I was ahead of the fashions. 25 years time, 2046, upturned collars coming back in. You heard it here first. Watch and learn, my friends. Now, anyway, the point is this. No one in the TV series tells you to get into chess. No one sells chess in the show. The show is not made by chess advertisers. All it does is tell us a story. And yet somehow oh, I'm, I'm captivated. I want to be like the lead character. I want to have her independence and charisma and, and, and freedom. I'm not captivated by chess, but somehow by the transcendence around it. And my life follows suit. That is conformity. Now, this is a serious question. If you and I are susceptible enough that our lives are shaped by a story about chess, what are the many other stories our world is telling us doing to our lives and to our thinking right now? A couple of books I read last year, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman and Telling a Better Story by Joshua Chatrell. Uh, both of these books include a really interesting sociological analysis of the culture in which we live right now, but also how we got here. Uh, both of them uh, imply and indicate increasingly our culture has got more and more individualistic, more and more revolved around the self. And this is shaping all of us. And they give a whole load of different examples. Uh, one of the interesting ones that Carl Truman comes up with is nightclub dancing, you know, in the club, in the club, in the club. You know, he says, you go back a few hundred years Actually, dancing's more of a community affair. Now, even 100 years ago, you know, it's more like, you know, ballroom stuff. What's dancing all about today? Individual expression. And of course, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. You know, I do it myself. I've got about three dance moves. I bring them out at weddings, which are the only parties I go to now. Um, but actually, it's just a simple sign that something that's happening on the outside is indicating how we're all being shaped on the inside. Now, whether or not you agree with that particular example, what both of these books do is they begin to unpack some of the leading stories that are shaping your and my life right now and actually how they're ultimately ruining us. Uh, let me give you probably, probably the top three stories, the narratives that are shaping our lives more than any other in London right now. And these aren't in any particular order. It's just the top three, probably. Number one, the story of consumerism. In other words, the good Life comes with a price tag. You and I can find transcendence if we just go shopping again. We are bombarded with this message the whole time. You just need more. And of course, the fallout from this is many and varied. Leads to things like envy, because I want what they've got, and selfishness and greed, a lack of contentment, because what I have right now is not enough. And this story ruins us. And it ruins our world. Second most common story, probably in London right now, is the story of achievement. That you and I are what we accomplish. We get this the whole time. And it leads to things like the thirst for fame and power. But I would suggest that in our culture right now, fame is seen as self-salvation. Uh, J.K. Smith, a philosopher who's done a couple of Christchurch events in the past, 
He says this, we have traded immortality for a shot at going viral. And there are some serious consequences to this story. I think a lot of them actually stem from our identity, how it kind of ruins our identity. Because if you and I are what we accomplish, what does this story say about those who fail? About those who don't succeed? About those who are not famous? What does this story do for our relationships? If I've got to be famous, are others just pawns to help me get there? This story corrupts our thinking and ruins our lives and our world. Third most common story that we're sold in the West in London right now is the story of romance. We just need to find our soulmate. This is what will save us. And of course, this puts a pressure on relationships to kind of lead us to transcendence that no relationship can handle that burden. And what does this story do for those who are single, those who have broken marriages, broken relationships? There will be people in our church community that are bruised, maybe even unconsciously, by a story like this one. Now, of course, there are many other stories out there, but, but the point is this. If you and I are susceptible enough to be shaped by a story about chess, what are these stories doing to our thinking and to our lives? Uh, let me impress you right now with a quote from the great philosopher Tyler Durden, also known as Brad Pitt from Fight Club. He says this, we have no great war. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. We've all been raised on TV to believe one day we'd be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't. And slowly we are learning that fact. Deep down, I think we can all relate to this. I don't think anyone listening to this right now is seriously thinking money will make me happy. Relationships will make me happy if I just had that. But here's the mistake we make at this point, according to the book of Romans, is we think we can save ourselves from their corrupting influence. I know there's a story out there about consumerism and achievement, but I'm immune. I can overcome the desires in here and the challenges out there. Here's where Romans gets very serious. If we think like that, Romans says we neither understand the seriousness of the problem nor our powerlessness to fix it. I don't know whether you've ever read the story Moby Dick, uh, written over a hundred years ago, story of a, a, an obsessive guy called Ahab trying to get revenge and conquer this huge whale. There's an image coming up on screen, which is, I think is a very powerful one. Spoiler alert, he doesn't do it and it claims his life. This is a picture of us trying to overcome our desires, sin in our hearts, the challenges out there, we cannot do it and it will ruin us. Corrupted thinking and conformity is a serious business indeed. And Romans unpacks this in brutal detail. So what on earth do we do? Where does salvation lie for all of us? Romans 12, first few verses have the answer. Therefore, in view of God's mercy. I've outlined the problem. Here's the solution. God had mercy on us. He saw us in our helpless state, trying to beat the whale, failing and killing ourselves in the process. He's like, I'm going to come and save you. And he sent Jesus a perfect example, our perfect sacrifice through the cross. He's forgiven our sin through the empty tomb. He offers us resurrection life. And all this is on him. It's all to do with him. He's the one that can free us from our broken thinking and the corrupting narratives round about. We do nothing. He does 
everything. And therefore, all we need to do, the only thing we need to do is turn to him. Center my life on him again. If the source of the problem is misdirected worship, the answer is directed worship. Relationship with Jesus is the answer to the brokenness in here and the challenges out there. Now, the language Romans use it sounds a bit drastic. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Well, it just means this. There will be a death, a sacrifice. If I center my life on Jesus, I'm dying to self. I'm not living for me anymore. I'm centering my life on him and it costs us and we feel that. But we're also living. I get his life. Let me give you another uh, slightly left field example. I read this in a book recently and I thought, I think that's quite interesting. Imagine, if you will, if you live in a remote village and there's one shop there and your favourite food is shepherd's pie. You just love it. Can't get enough of the stuff. Problem is, every shepherd's pie contains mushrooms and you hate mushrooms. They're like little slugs. They spoil everything. Can't stand them. What are you going to do? Well, you and I got two options. Option number one is every shepherd's pie, we weed out the mushrooms one by one by one. It's a messy business. Don't always succeed. Oh, another mushroom. And of course, even if we do succeed and all I get to eat it, I think I'll buy another shepherd's pie and do it all over again. It just wears us out, breaks us, doesn't work. But there's a second option. And it's this. We go and build a relationship with the baker. He can sort the mushroom problem for us. And he's got so much more food on offer as well. That's Romans 12. Because of Jesus, the baker's door is open. And the key to a transformed life is we just get to know him. I'm a big fan of the work of Eugene Peterson. He wrote the message translation of the Bible. And one of his observations on the culture in which we live is like, we're obsessed with freedom. I want to be free to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, with who I want to do it. Problem is, not many people feel free. The evidence is like all all the complaining, all the addictions. I can't spend my money how I want or my time exactly how I want. And I I can't free myself from my desire to get famous or more money or, you know, to to find my soulmate and so on and so forth. And so he says this, the Christian realises our real problem is not achieving freedom at all, but in learning service under a better master. The Christian realises that every relationship that excludes God becomes oppressive. All these other narratives, they don't care for me. They'll ruin me. But if I center my life on Jesus and live for him, oh, he loves me so much. And verse two builds on this. As I turn to Jesus, it's like my thinking gets restored. I can now see his good, pleasing and perfect will. I now see the best way to live and I can get freed from the corrupting narratives round about. And so Paul gives us a warning. Like now your eyes are opened. Why let yourself be shaped by these stories again? Why would you go back to them? You know they don't work. You can see now. Live live for him. And, and you can see that the best way to do life. I read a really interesting book recently uh, by a guy uh, called Jim Wilder called Renovated. And it borrows heavily from neuroscience. And I kind of find that stuff really interesting. But the premise of the book is this. He, he finds... Like loads of Christians who aren't living in the fullness, the life, the Bible, and Jesus seems to say is possible. Have you ever met Christian and they're just grumbling or fearful or anxious or they they just aren't, aren't that good to be around? I have been that Christian. I am sometimes that Christian. And he says, here's the mistake 
that many Christians make, and all self-help kind of comes into this category too, is we think the power for transformation rests on the will. If I do this, and do that, read my Bible and pray and serve in church, give my money and help those in need and get involved in work in the city and more and more and more, then my life will be transformed. He says it's a lie and it breaks us. He says this, all, all neuroscience backs this up, he says, is the key for transformation is loving attachment. That's the answer to a different kind of life. You know, what causes a parent to do something amazing, like running into a burning building to rescue a child? It's loving attachment. And therefore, if we want to transform life, it all rests on relationship with Jesus. And this has really serious implications for the series ahead. Because we're going to look at things like practicing hospitality and building community and using our spiritual gifts. The mistake we can make is we think that, oh, if, if, if I want to transform life, I've got to do all of these things. No. It's all about the mercy of God. It's all about relationship with him and all the life and beauty stems from that. Now, one, one final story to illustrate about a guy called Ernest Gordon. Uh, he was a soldier in the Second World War. Captured, taken to a concentration camp and treated brutally there. And uh, there wasn't enough really kind of food and provisions for the inmates. And people started fighting amongst themselves, kind of like a Lord of the Flies uh, existence. And he said one day, one of the guards counted up the shovels they were using for their manual labour. Noticed a shovel was missing. So he lines all the prisoners up. Who stole the shovel? No one moves. So this guard picks up his gun and says, I'm going to kill you all. I'm going to kill you all. Unless someone admits to taking this. A man steps forward. The guard yanks this man to the front and clubs him to death with the butt of the rifle. And this Gordon says it's one of the most traumatic things he's ever seen in his life. Short while later, they recount the shovels again. Discover they miscounted. No shovels being taken. This guy has given his life everybody else. Here's what Ernest Gordon writes, and I love this quote. He says this, death was still with us, no doubt about that. But we were slowly being freed from its destructive grip. We were seeing for ourselves the sharp contrast between the forces that made for life and death. Selfishness, hatred, envy, jealousy, greed, self-indulgence and pride, they're anti-life. Love, heroism, self-sacrifice, sympathy, mercy, integrity and creative faith, on the other hand, were the essence of life, turning existence into living in its truest sense. These were the gifts of God to men. True, there was hatred, but still in the concentration camp. But there was also love. There was death. This guy's given his life, but there is now life. God had not left us. He was with us, calling us into the divine life of fellowship. Said after this moment, the whole camp changed. Rather than fighting over provisions, people pooled their resources, built musical instruments, built a church, built a university. Ernest Gordon himself taught philosophy and ethics. It's the power of a transformed life when you know someone's given their life for you. I don't know how you're feeling as we kind of come out of this latest lockdown. I imagine all of us recognise, ah, oh, things just aren't quite the way they should be in here. And I'm facing challenges out there. Ahead of this series, I just want to keep this message actually really simple. The application is this. Let's just centre our lives on Jesus again. He's the best. And out of relationship with him comes everything else. 
It may be you've never taken this step of faith yourself. I just want to say it's the best thing you will ever do. But it may be you've been following Jesus for many years and you just feel things have grown a bit stale. Maybe your will has just grown a bit tired and your soul is sagging. I want to invite us now to come and offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, like this is our true and proper worship. To say, Jesus, forget the doing lots of stuff. I just want to center my life on you. I want to recommit my life to you again. And may all the refreshment I'm praying for for us as a church, more than anything else, come out of connection with him. So I'm going to pray now. Invite God to meet with us. I'm just going to leave a little moment for you in your own heart to say, hey, Jesus, are you at the centre or not? Well, actually, I really want you to be. And I want to recommit my life to you again. Oh, he's our best friend. He's our loving father. There's no one like him. So let's in our hearts go meet with him now. Let me pray for us. Come, Holy Spirit of God, and connect us with Jesus. Would you draw close to us now? And there's people in homes watching this video in services. In our heart, we say, Jesus, I want my misdirected worship to be directed again. I want to center my life on you. Come meet with us now. Presence of God, fill us. Give us your joy. Help us to see clearly, ah, yeah, this is your will. For those who need guidance, do you bring it in this moment? For those who need wisdom, I pray the fruit of centering our lives on you would be, ah, I know the decision I need to make now. I know the way I need to walk. Come, Holy Spirit. There'll be another song of worship in a moment. But why don't you just take a, a second, tell Jesus you love him. Tell him you need him. Tell him you want your relationship to be deeper. Lord, as we go through Romans 12, I pray for transformation. As the word Romans 12 uses, I pray that for us as a church, transform us. But may the core, may the centre, may the heart, may the, the power and the energy all come from relationship with you because we just love you. Meet with us now as we worship, I pray. We ask this in the name of our glorious Saviour and King. We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to Christchurchlondon.org.